0: The word of the Lord given to the prophet Jonah. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city?
1: So, we are in our last week this morning in a series through the book of Jonah that we've called Rejected Grace. And we've had several different uh, uh, speakers for this. Pastor Ben has has preached twice, and uh, we had our deacon, Randy Keller, also uh, bring a message from the book of Jonah. And it's been, I think, a really good series. We've talked about how God chases us even when we run. Uh, Pastor, or Randy, through the, the rest of chapter one, talked about how God desires more for us and for others than we do. Uh, Pastor Ben shared with us about, about prayer, even in the midst of suffering, as, as Jonah shows in the belly of the fish. And last week we talked about repentance, and then this week we're talking about God's scandalous grace. If you're looking for a summary for the book of Jonah, I think think this is a good one. Pastor Ben gave this to us in the first week of the series. He said this, Jonah is about a God who gives grace and a people who reject it, whether for themselves or for others. I think that is a great summary of the book of Jonah. And so when I talk about scandalous grace today, that may sound odd. Why would God's grace be scandalous? Well, it's scandalous because... It's scandalous because we feel like this sense of justice that we have, like we should be able to decide or determine when enough is enough, and God's grace always extends beyond that. We're going to see him offer grace over and over again in this story to someone who does not deserve it, and that's what makes it scandalous. Uh, The single-sentence sermon summary this morning, we have got to either change that or just make it longer, one or the other. That's a lot of uh, alliteration. No matter how many times you've run away from God, he never stops chasing you with his scandalous grace. Let's say that again. No matter how many times you've run away from God, he never stops chasing you with his scandalous grace. I remember, and I I imagine that this this isn't common, but I remember the first time I got to read the book of Jonah or learn the story of Jonah. I was just shy of 18, and I'd been going to church for a few weeks, a few weeks, not yet a month. And I think that whoever was over the Children's Sunday School department did not realize that I'd never been to church before. And since I taught children's karate at the time they thought, oh, here's someone that could help teach Sunday school. And I didn't know enough about anything to know that that was probably not a good idea because I had absolutely no idea what I was talking about. And then it was further complicated by the the fact they put me with the two to five-year-olds. Now, two to five is way too big of an age gap when you have 15 or 20 kids. And I was supposed to be the assistant, but the teacher didn't show up. So there was me. A few weeks into the church experience, trying to corral this group of children. And so I got them all to kind of sit at a table. I was told I was supposed to do a story with them, and so, so we did. And, and as you have to, I had to bribe them with a snack to sit to hear a, to hear a lesson. And, and I, I opened the lesson book, and it's a kid's version of the book of Jonah. And I start reading the story having never heard it before. And what's interesting about two to five-year-olds is their attention span is nowhere near long enough to get through the entirety of the lesson. And so three or four minutes after we started, they're done. And showing myself to not yet having been mature enough to be teaching Sunday school, I told the kids, sorry guys, I got to know how this ends right? there's there's, There's a prophet running away from God. There's this big fish. He's in the belly of the whale. He's thrown up onto the beach. Like, how can you not be riveted? And so I made the kids sit while I finished the story. But here's what's interesting. I also remember the first time I read the book of Jonah in the Bible and realized there's a chapter four. You see, a lot of times we leave off Chapter 4, because if you end the book of Jonah with chapter 3, you have this really wonderful story. Because Jonah, at the beginning of chapter 1, he's a prophet, he hears a word from the Lord to go to Nineveh. And so he does what any prophet would do he gets on a boat and he heads in the other direction. And so, as he's on this boat, God sends this storm, this terrible, terrible storm. To, uh, uh, to get his attention. And Jonah so does not... Oh, this is Jonah, by the way. Say hi to Jonah. The, I, I mentioned last week, this is one of those rare ancient photographs of a prophet. Uh, it's the only one we have, I believe. He's told to go to Nineveh, and this is Nineveh. A lot of the times we think about ancient cities being kind of ugly and, and, and broken down and terrible places, but Nineveh was this big, beautiful city. Um, it was, it was, had walls that were 30 to 35 feet high and buildings that towered over those walls. So Nineveh was a beautiful place. And so Nin, or Jonah is on the boat. He's fleeing God. There's a storm. He tells the the sailors to throw him in the water because he so doesn't want to obey God that he'd rather be thrown in the water to drown than say, turn around. I'm supposed to go somewhere else. And while he's in the water, God decides to, to spare him in the grossest way possible by providing a very large fish to eat him. And so there Jonah sits, For three days. And then of course, you know, we have chapter 2 where he repents. But his repentance seems to be this commitment to obey. But his heart isn't really in it. And so the fish then throws Jonah up on the beach. And God calls to Jonah again and says, head to Nineveh. So in our story today, or I'm sorry, our story last week, we had Jonah preaching right, through Nineveh, and, and he preached this really long, profound sermon, right, it's eight, Eng, it's eight words in English, but five words in Hebrew. It's so short, you have to add words to it to make it make grammatical sense, right, that's how short a sermon Jonah preaches, it's, it's, it's very likely the shortest sermon recorded in scripture, and he says, 40 days until Nineveh is overturned. And then what happens? The people repent, right? We talked last week about the king gets down off his throne. And because of the repentance of of the people of Nineveh, God relents. He does not bring calamity. So then we come to chapter 4. It says, and I apologize, I do not have the same translation that we went through, but it's very close If you want to follow along, you could uh, just look at a Bible in the pew if you'd like. It says, but Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. So this is how he responds to God's grace. He's angry about it. And he prayed to the Lord, and he explains why he didn't go to Nineveh in the first place. He says, isn't this what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And so this is weird, because what he says about God is God's self-description. There's this beautiful chapter in the book of Exodus. It's chapter 34, where God reveals himself to Moses. And he says this about himself. He is loving, compassionate. And and Jonah knows that about him. And so he doesn't want to go to Nineveh because he doesn't want Nineveh to be forgiven. And then he does what every child does when they're angry. He throws a fit. You might say, well, that's not fair. That's a bit of an exaggeration. No, no. You know the whole, like, when a person is, a child is really angry, they'll kind of cross their arms and they sit, right? And they won't move. Verse 5. Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. He went out and planted. And God has even said to him, in verse 4, the Lord replies, have you any right to be angry? And this is another sign that things are upside down in the book of Jonah because over and over again we think about the times that we call out to God. We pray to God and he doesn't reply in the way we wish he would. Right? We speak to him and don't hear back. But here, it's the opposite. God asks Jonah a question, and what's his answer? He crosses his arms, and he sits. He doesn't respond. So so God is trying to get the attention of this prophet, this wayward, broken, sinful prophet, and show him this flaw in his heart. And speaking to him doesn't get it done. So so God kind of shakes things up. Outside of the city, Jonah made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. And then the Lord God provided. A, why, is he, why is he waiting to see what would happen? How long do you think he's going to wait? Do you have a guess? Forty days. You see, you see, the Ninevites repented, but he prophesied that in forty days Nineveh would be overturned, and so he's hoping that either they'd repent of their repentance, right, they'd, they'd, they'd turn back to their old ways, or he's hoping that God is just going to bring judgment on them anyway. He's so angry, he's ready to sit in the heat for a month to see if God will destroy the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. It's interesting, this is the only place Jonah is happy in the entire story. There's a vine that provides him shade and Jonah is happy. The Lord provided it and then the Lord provides something else. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. And then when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. You might be wondering, what is God doing? He provides a leafy plant for Jonah to have shade and then he takes it away and provides a scorching wind. He's trying to get Jonah's attention. He asked Jonah a question and Jonah didn't respond, so he shakes things up. So Jonah says, again, it would be better for me to die than to live. You get the impression he's a little bit dramatic. In verse 9, but God said to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry with the vine? Or about the vine? It's the same question he asked earlier, just about a vine instead of a city. And Jonah says, I do. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this vine, that you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. and Many cattle as well. Should I not care about this great city? That, that right hand from their left. People have wondered what that means. It probably means something like they're very, very misguided. Remember we talked about last week about how the kingdom of Assyria was well known for its cruelty and its power. These are people that are backwards. They're they're wrong. They're misguided. But God loves them anyway. So we're talking about scandalous grace. It's not the scandal of God's grace to the Ninevites that I want to talk about today. That matters. It really does. If you don't think long and hard about how God sees the people you think of as enemies, then you've missed one of the points of the book of Jonah. this is a real quick aside. The temperature right now of the political disagreements in our country is hotter than it's ever been in my lifetime. And, And if you think bad and terrible things about the people that you disagree with, you should read Jonah again, and then if you're still angry, you should read it again. God loves all those crazy, unreasonable people you disagree with. And you know they're wrong because you disagree with them. And more than that, though, he wants you to love them, too. And that applies in every circumstance, unless you're one of those people who says pop instead of soda. I I, want to say that, that pop is a sound, and I don't know if God can help you if you're lost on that one. But other than that, God wants you to love even those that you disagree with. But the scandal of God's grace is for Jonah. So, so when we think about the story, Jonah is a prophet, right? He's in. He's one of God's people, but he's the, he's the person in the story that's the least faithful to God. So what does God do? He reaches out to him. First, he speaks to Jonah, tells him to go to Nineveh, but Jonah goes the wrong way. So God sends the storm Jonah's so set on disobeying that he'd rather die, so God sends the fish. And Jonah repents, preaches his sermon, still wants the Ninevites to be judged, so so God sends the plant, then God sends the worm, then God sends the wind. Over and over and over again, God reaches out to Jonah. I counted ten times in four chapters, God does or says something that's him reaching out to Jonah to turn his heart back toward the Lord over and over again, ten times in four chapters. It's one of the shortest books of the Bible, and God acts again and again. So I have to confess something. I said last week and I said earlier this morning that the story wasn't about Ninevites because it was about Jonah. And I'm sorry, but I misled you, kind of. This story isn't about Jonah at all. I think this is a story about you. And I think it's a story about me. The great scandal of God's grace is that he continues to show that grace even to sinners like you and me. I remember that time that I read through Jonah uh, from the Bible, not the children's version of it. I remember thinking just how terrible Jonah was. And after I was in Bible college for a while, I was a preaching major and I would preach at different churches, and Jonah was one of the first places I drew from for sermons. And those early sermons, I reread one of them this week and repented. But the, the, the point of those sermons were, thankfully, we're not like Jonah. Don't be like Jonah. Here's the problem. We are just... Like Jonah. Here's our situation. You and I, we've been created by God and we've been made in His image. And we've been called, like Jonah was, to serve God and to reflect His love and His glory into the world. And we're terrible at it. I'm sorry if that's news, but you're actually not all that good At being the way God wants you to be. We have this infection called sin. This disease. And it leads us to rebel all the time. Sometimes we rebel by doing things we know don't honor Him. And sometimes we rebel by not doing the things that we know do honor Him. We call that sin. When we fall short of His standard. We're infected through and through. But God wants us to be like him, and he's committed to that. He's all in. He's so committed that he sent his son to come and to to become human. And I don't know if you've really thought about that. Jesus came and joined us in the midst of this terrible and difficult world. There's so much good and so much hard, too. I imagine staying in heaven would have been a lot better. He came and he joined the world where you get sick, where you're hungry, where you feel pain. And he died as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. He defeated the evil one. He overcame death and made a way for all of us to have eternal life with him. That's what God has done for us. And we are just like Jonah. We reject grace after grace from God. And we do not deserve the life Or the love that he gives us. And yet, despite all of that, despite all those times we turn away or we reject his grace, he does not give up on us. He reaches out again and again. Sometimes he reaches out in big and obvious ways. Right with Jonah, it was a storm and a giant fish. He's probably not going to use a giant fish to reach out to you, although he could. If it happens, let me know. But he did reach out to us with a storm, not to long ago. And it might be weird to think of God using a storm to reach out to us. I don't think that he, he decided to send a storm so that he could send a message, but he will use that kind of a tragedy to speak to so many people. I know person after person that found their faith again or renewed their faith again because of God acting in the midst and in the wake of that storm. Sometimes He acts in big ways. And when He does, we should listen. But most of the time, He acts through plants and worms. Through small things. Through everyday things. Most of the time when God speaks to me, He does it through a person. And they don't know that they're God's voice to me, saying the thing I need to hear. It's happened again and again. He frequently speaks to me through my wife. That's where I hear stop, that's a bad idea. Most often actually is is when God speaks to me through her. I know some of you hear from God most often through a song on the radio. You're thinking about something, you're wrestling with something, and then you just, you hear that song and you know that there's something there for you. For you, maybe it's that you come to church and it seems like the messages are tailored for you. A few of you have said that to me. Little do you know, we're actually doing that. No, we don't don't write sermons for anyone. But, But if that's the way that God gets in touch with you, if that's the way he reaches out to you, that's wonderful. You need to figure out, you need to watch, you need to listen for God's way of speaking to you. And then God spoke to Jonah with words. He speaks to us with words too. Some of us receive those internal prompts. Some of us very often. Some of us very rarely. But we all have the word of God. And he speaks to all of us frequently here. If we'll take a jump or a leap of faith and open it and be ready to hear from him. I don't mean pick a random page and assume that whatever you've landed on is the message God has for you. I mean developing a habit, a holy habit of diving into his word and letting it form and change you. God will speak to you in powerful ways. God speaks. He reaches out through big things, through small things, and always through his word. Now, I'm not sure where you are this morning, but I I want you to remember to look for the ways that God is reaching out to you whether it's through storms and giant fish, through plants and worms, through his word. And I want you to remember, no matter how many times you've run away from God, he never stops chasing you with his grace. Now maybe right now you're on fire, and that's great. I want to encourage you, like we talked about last week, if that's you, tend that fire. You've got to nurture that fire. You've got to keep that passion of your heart ignited. And look around you to see where God is at work, to ask how you can join Him, how He can use you, and how in the midst of that He wants to change you. Or maybe you're struggling. You feel like your faith has gone stale. I want you to know that that's okay. Almost all of us go through those periods, some for short times, some for long ones. But I want you to know that even in the midst of that, God is no further away from you than he is at any other time. He's there. He's working in and around and through you all the time. You need to know that he will never give up on you. You have not done something so wrong he can't forgive it. You have not turned away so many times that he's lost his patience. He loves you more than you have ever loved anything. And will never give up on you. And if you look for him being at work. And if you listen to his word. There will come a time when he reignites that fire in your heart. By his grace. You just need to be patient. And hang in. And keep looking and listening. But maybe neither of those suit you. Maybe you're like Jonah. At the beginning of our story. I think that Jonah believed he was good. He was in a good place with God. I imagine he was either unaware of what was wrong in his heart or that he didn't think it was a big deal. But God loved him too much to let him stay comfortable. I want to tell you that God loves you too much to let you stay comfortable too. And so if you listen to me talk about being on fire or about struggling and you can't relate to either one, I want to promise you something this morning. I promise you that God is at work and he's trying to get your attention. Maybe he'll put someone that's hard to love in your life as a way for you to recognize that fault in your heart. That's certainly what he did with Jonah, isn't it? He called for Jonah to go to the people that Jonah could not bring himself to go to. Maybe he'll provide a hardship, a time of hardship for you, And i will use that to, to wake you up. God did that to Jonah too. He did it twice in this story. Once with a giant fish and once with a worm and an east wind. And I know that God is waiting to speak to you through his word. If you'll take the leap and get into it. And his message to you, when he gets your attention, when he speaks, his message to you will be the same as it was to Jonah. You need to know that your heart is sick. You're infected. You're not the way that he wants you to be. The person he has in mind for you to become is so much greater than who you are now. And if you'll let him purify your heart through and through, you won't be able to believe the goodness, the joy, the life that comes with holiness. Because that's who God is. No matter how many times we run away from him, he never stops chasing him. And that's what we call scandalous grace. And so my hope for you today is that wherever you are, you'll make this commitment. If you're on fire, wonderful. Listen for him. If you're struggling, that's okay. Listen for him. If neither one of those hits you or suits you, that's okay. Listen for him. Because what he wants for you is so good, so rich, so full, so wonderful, that you don't want to miss the times he reaches out to drag you along, to make you more like him. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you so thankful for your blessings. Lord, we know that we reject grace from you. Lord, we do it for those that we don't feel like deserve it. We think there's no way you could use or love them. Sometimes we believe that about ourselves too. At other times, Lord, we just feel like we're in a good place and we don't need to listen. We don't need to respond. We don't need to look for you. Lord, we repent of that. And we ask for you to grab hold of us and change us, Lord. Sanctify us. Make us more like you. God, we pray that as we read the book of Jonah, as we read the rest of Scripture, as we look at the people and situations in our lives, that we would remember how prone we are to rejecting the opportunities and grace you send us, that we'd be convicted, and that we'd commit anew to you. We pray all these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.